0: Welcome all. Max of the accidental engineer here. Today we have the pleasure of Ron Maltiel joining us. Thanks for joining us, Ron. <laughs>
1: Happy to join.
0: <laughs> uh, so, Ron, uh, do you mind sharing for our audience what your background
1: is, what you
0: what you do today?
1: Sure. Um, I'm a, originally from Israel, and I've been working uh, in the semiconductor electronic industry for more than 30 years. Um, when I, in Israel, actually, the system is a bit different. You typically first go to the army, and after the army you go to engineering school or any other kind of school. And one of the biggest difference is that you have to already know what profession you want to study when you start the school. So, which is very tough, some people know. I didn't know which one, which one I want, but I'm interested in many areas of engineering and science, and, and I happened to read an article about uh, material science before I when I was in the army, and it sounds really neat because it's interdisciplinary and you work with many fields, developing new technology, and nowadays are even able to, design, able to invent new material that are good for certain, uh, purposes, and it's interesting how it's into the what the product needs to do, that you are able to design a good material for it. So after I started uh, undergraduate, uh, or while I was doing undergraduate, I was interested in continuing past the BS degree, and I looked in several schools, and uh, one of them was Stanford. Uh, I looked at the top schools that was doing some work regarding uh, electronic materials because I was very interested in our design. It was a very fast-moving and advanced field of uh, material used for the electronic industry. And basically, being able to create semiconductor, it depends on the property of the material. But on the other side, you have to understand all the electronic aspect of it. So you have to understand both feet very deeply. So I found it interesting. So um, I applied for several schools and uh, one of the top ones I got accepted was Stanford. So I came here for graduate school and I uh, spent a couple of years at Stanford on working on semiconductor for electronic industry and I thought my thesis advisor it was an electrical engineering professor. So even there was material science because Stanford realized very much inter all the different science are interdisciplinary we create this artificial boundary in order to develop an understanding but to get the product work it has to work both from the material electronic from many other perspective so today you now own a consultancy where
0: you often do Mm -hmm. expert witness type of consulting um, Uh and on the topics that you've been working on for the last three decades Uh, for people who are curious about um, kind of your your like you were saying your early career where you finished your time in the army in Israel uh you moved to Stanford to Palo Alto California uh-huh. uh, how old were you and what was the progression where you uh finished your graduate studies and went into industry
1: well that um i was about 23 roughly a uh, well, when you finished the army, I was about 21. And in the last year, I mean, I finished my undergrad in three years. And in the last year, I was looking what to do ahead. And already, I got accepted to a job in the industry in Israel, but I applied also for graduate school here. So I was about 24, roughly, or 23 when I came here and started working in a in Stanford on my master and then the graduate degree afterward and did some thesis for electrical engineering professor and um, and I saw that I'm more and more interested in the semiconductor and the, at that time it's actually it's interesting that similarly how a software area is so developed in the main area of the industry these days, in those days the semiconductor people working in The electronic industry was the center of the Silicon Valley that when I finished at Stanford, there's about 20 or 30 companies that I can choose to work on developing new semiconductor chips for the electronic industry. And um, I uh, interviewed I think then I interviewed two companies and one of them was Intel. And so I started I chose Intel even though as a company offer a bit higher salary because Intel was already then was leading a lot of the development and the new idea in the industry and you had to work there a bit harder but I thought to be more interesting and advanced uh, development which is what I was interested in and, and it ended up working well because uh, I started working there at the time they came up with the first commercial flash or what was the predecessor the building block for the flash it's called EEPROM that this is what the flash memory is built on and now video camera or a regular camera or any equipment that need to store the information without power is using flash and this was really the first time that somebody creates such a commercial product so it was really exciting to work on it and and you have to and there was a beneficial, that the fact that I understood both the material aspect of it, but also that the, how the electronic and other device work, and how the circuit work, because you needed to work from all the different perspectives. And as time progressed, I developed more and more deep knowledge in it. And, and I worked for in about four different semiconductor companies until the mid-90s, and I worked in Various areas, some of them I work in developing the manufacturing technology, but the other c- cases I work also in developing the circuit to make the the product. And I have several patents for, exam- for example, combining a flash or E square prompt together with dynamic memory into one product. So then in the mid 90s, I um, opened my own consulting. And the reason I did it, because um, already then uh, I realized that you don't work. uh, It's not like that you work for 40 or 50 years in a company and they give you a gold watch and this is it. Because already then the industry was changing fast. In the 80s the Japanese were really taking over a lot of semiconductor companies and a lot of them disappeared. And like they were saying when I started, there was 20 companies I could have chosen a job. But already in the mid-90s, probably in the barriers have been only, I don't know, 5, 10. So I realized that you cannot really depend that company will take care of you for the rest of your life. I mean, I, it, it seems like a ridiculous concept, but before the 80s, 70s, for sure, it was uh, people who company until they retire, IBM or other places like this. And so I started, so I opened my consulting in the mid-90s and started doing some consulting to some semiconductor company and uh, somebody that knew me for Intel he was looking for somebody who can do um, a testifying for a patent that uh, he felt that some Japanese company was stealing his technology and I already had some patent on my own at that time uh, the first one I got when I was in graduate school at Stanford and then several in advanced micro devices and also several afterward, And some of them are in a processor and some of them are in a circuit area. And so I understood what are the general issues that you have to worry about in a litigation case of protecting your intellectual property of patent. So yeah, I said, I'll give it a try. It sounds like an interesting uh, opportunity. And it was really fascinating because... Um, when you work as an expert witness, uh, you need initially to have a very deep knowledge in some some technical or some field. And they have expert feel, expert witness in many different fields, just don't the only requirement that they would have deep understanding of it, and it could be either developed through working few years in the industry, at least few years, and depending on the field and the depth of what is needed, but at least few years or you can be somebody from academia, the only point people academia is they bring more theoretical understanding and they don't understand always how stuff is done in the real world. Um, so, so, I mean, I work on this case for a few months. It's sort of a, it's not a continuous work. You work for a few days a week and then a few weeks later you do something else and then you are being deposited on it and uh, nowadays the deposition is limited to less, I mean one day or maybe two days at the most and each day it's seven or eight hours and it's it's very tough, the deposition, because you have to remember clearly, very accurately, what you, because usually write a report and give an opinion about the technology being infringed or what the pattern is about. And the deposition is trying to clarify what you said in your report. And you have to be very careful every word that you say there. You may want to make sure that it interprets in accurately and correctly and not taken out of context. So you have to be really prepared and uh, be on your toes and you cannot talk with your attorney all the time you are doing this. The position, and this was the first time I was deposed, and in those days the position can go multiple days. They don't set in advance how many, so it ended up being like four days over a couple months. And during the time, you don't talk at all to the attorney, so you don't get any feedback. And this was the first time, so it was a it was a tough time, but mm-hmm. it was okay. So I like the I like the this kind of work because. You both deal with the technical aspect of a project and you dive very deeply because these is they are not uh, necessarily uh, have experience in the EU specific industry, but they are sharp guys and very quickly they get into the field. They usually don't know in the beginning the different technical terms and the buzzword use, but you can educate them and you have to be careful because some of these words shared the meaning, like what something was called something in the 80s is changed later. And so you work with them on them very in technical, very specialized area. And so different time you work on different topics. So it's interesting. And and you go and uh, delve more deeply in areas that you already dealt with the technology, but you also see strategic issue that what they decide to go after and which which aspect of the patent or which aspect of the technologies I care more about. And you see some business issues, all of it comes together and you work with different people on different topics, different times. So I found it interesting. So after uh, this case, I started looking for more in working as an expert witness, And as time evolved, I had uh, more opportunity to work in different cases like this. So this isn't such an
0: easy career to break into, um, unless you have deep experience in a pretty specific topic where there's litigation happening. Otherwise, nobody, there aren't really people who can apply to these jobs of expert witness, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well,
1: usually you cannot apply for it because <laughs> they, they like to find it yourself. I mean, the one thing that you can sort of apply is that there are some agency broker and you can easily find them online because uh, it's um, it's a fairly lucrative field for them because they keep just database of people who specialize in different fields, in any field under the sun. And you can be, I mean, they are expert in plumbing, in building material, in any field that there are some litigation happening uh, or some other and it's not just litigation because sometimes investors also like to talk and people who have experience in the industry. And the one of the important things that you cannot be an employee of a company in the industry while you apply for these jobs mm. because they don't they don't want to hire a competitor to look in your secret information or they don't want you later to use information you learn from them for your current job. Uh, so they want people who are knowledgeable, knowledgeable in the area but not actively employed uh, by somebody who is a competitor. That you always have One of the first questions they ask you is if you uh, have any conflict working against company a, X, Y, and Z. And so there are brokers that the keep database and you give them your resume and keyword and so on. And uh, both investor and attorneys are finding people so this way but nowadays and uh, it's something that I felt should have happened a long time ago it's happening but it's a slow process that um, uh, people can find you if you have an online presence uh, and if you if let's say if your expertise is in software and you have a blog that you write about some aspect of software that you are finding interesting and you are aware of it uh, when somebody is looking for somebody who knows about this specific language or this area of software online, the, if you download enough of it uh, Google will find you and index you and you'll have a bigger presence and they'll uh, and they're likely they'll come to you directly uh, because these are the people are are really the most knowledgeable because uh, they already have the presence and they write about the stuff. And um, and you don't, you don't have to write a PhD thesis once a week online to, <laughs> to it. It is just you have to put um, useful information, information that you feel is accurate or addressing certain aspects. And you can choose whether it's the business aspect or technical aspect. And the more you do it in different services, whether it's a blog or Twitter or a website, that each one of them will be a useful method. And the one thing which is ironic, it's relatively easy to establish present online. I mean, I did it, uh, like, I guess, 12 years ago, roughly. It's when I put my website and start putting articles and different... uh, topics related to the electronics, especially the semiconductor industry, both the processing and the technology and the circuit aspect of it. So it's easy to establish the website pu- and putting it online, but the thing which is slow is that for people to discover and follow you. Now if I think I have like I have 1200 people that regularly look at when I put a blog or write something in an area, but in the beginning, it was very slow for to people to discover you. And, and I think that the easy way to address it is that if you're on a regular basis, and it could be monthly, weekly, or quarterly, whatever is convenient for you, you add more to it. And as time passes, more and more stuff is accumulated on the website, and people, as time progress realize that you have something to contribute.
0: So what are the types of services that lawyers are specifically looking for? Or, or like you described, maybe not lawyers, but investors who want an expert's opinion. What, what are the different types of expert consulting engagements that uh, you do or that are out there?
1: Uh, there, are generally, there, are, uh, well, there are several uh, different areas. There's one area is the reverse engineering field. And you can also uh, send an email or try to contact companies that uh, do the reverse engineering. And, and I'm talking, since I'm semiconductor, I'm talking about further analysis or reverse engineering of product that is done in semiconductor. Like, for example, every time that new iPhone is come, that there's a company called iFix that actually Apple bought. <laughs> and they uh, very quickly... Uh, within like 24 hours or 36 hours that the first product is out so they come reports saying all the parts that are inside this uh, so and usually people are interested in this information is our investors they want to see what product they need or if somebody that believes that Apple is infringing on their product mm-hmm. they can only see which or some supplier for Apple so they can see who is involved so this is one service company that you can approach them and see if they work with somebody that uh, looking for expert witness but there are also agencies that are um, they just have database and these are called i think broker or expert services and i think there's also something called consulting a uh, network expert that uh, these are more for the investor community and these are usually for one hour or two hour kind of engagement and they again you send them your information They keep the database and if some investors who would like to know more in depth about your industries, or contact you. And it's not just investor. I mean, like I know, for example, that bank consulting and other consulting company, when they work with somebody on a project, they sometimes use the services to learn more deeply of, about the industry. But for um, one other thing, that for the expert witness himself, there are usually two type of a uh, expert. An expert is just in general is somebody who is experienced in the industry in certain in certain field. So you have a consulting expert and you have a testifying expert. The um, consulting expert is somebody who works behind the scene, is look through the information and basically I say translated it to English to the attorney because um especially in the beginning and also later, the attorneys are very quickly pick something, but they pick a very narrow area of your specialties that they see from the pattern or from reading email and so on. But your job is to tell them that what are the important email or this line was talking about something specific. So this is really the smoking gun or whatever. So your your job is to tell them, read through all this information and educate the attorneys what are the issue and also you look at the, your pattern and the competing pattern from the other side and say what are the similarity and the difference from your technical understanding that what your pattern talk versus what the other pattern talk about and then um, so these are the consulting and again they work behind the scene and they don't have to be wary about what they talk talking with the attorney about because nothing is discoverable and actually the other side wouldn't even know that they're using you. And um, Now beside this there's also testifying experts and these are people who have more experience they've been likely did some consulting work before and there are people that would feel comfortable uh, being on a stand in front of a jury um, and uh, they see more um, refined information because often in the beginning the law firm would deal with the consulting expert to try to look at all the information you can gather and see what is important what is not and develop a general area of what they are going to say that the other side infringe or something of that nature and the testifying experts then you present him all the information showing that in that you believe in fringe, he has to look at it and feel comfortable that he agrees with your opinion, or he finds enough material that is uh, showing that it's a case that the other side really fringe. And actually, it's the job of both the consulting and the testifying to tell that alternatives are going in the wrong direction. I mean, I had a case that um, I was working as, this was quite a few years ago, I was working as a consulting and. After working for a few months, I felt that the company I was working for the case wasn't that strong and the thing is it's tough that when you tell them you know you basically this will be the end of this project. they wouldn't use you anymore. I mean they don't need somebody who tells them that what they're doing is not good uh, and but I felt that it wasn't a strong enough case and I told them and it was the end of that case and and I saw a couple, I mean, a half year or a year later, that they really end up changing direction as a result of it. But the goods, the thing which makes me feel still good about it, there a year or two later, the same law firm came to me for another case because I felt that I'll really tell them what is the real story. And it, it's important for them because often they don't have the industry experience that uh, somebody from the field had. Um and um, so this was, I mean, in general, the area, and it's, it's useful if you can bring something that, some specialty or something that the attorney didn't think about before, like one of my biggest cases, a uh, about 10 years ago, or I guess eight years ago, I was an expert for Ambos, and this was a case that has been going at that time for uh, seven years, the litigation, and they assume... This was a circuit case and production costs and they saw a lot of the dealer manufacturers. They had a patent that uh, somebody developed at Stanford and Rambos acquired the technology and they felt that they should deserve some royalty. It was a different approach of using or making a dynamic memory. And they had a tough time and even though it was going seven years and they went after a lot of the big manufacturers In those days, uh, the DRAM technology, I mean or the DLAM production, they're selling like 40 billion a year. And uh, this, I mean nowadays the only industry that is selling more is a flash memory only about four years ago. It took over. So since it's such a big industry and the manufacturing cost and the profit is very low, that uh, they, too many, none of the company wanted really to pay them. So, but I was able to find some aspects that because of my understanding both of the process and material science, but also the circuit that wasn't thought about before. And then winning this case, and they got like nine hundred million from one of the <laughs> competitor. And so this, of course, helped my uh, um, credibility and uh, showing that I experienced. And the jury said that I was more believable than the opposing expert. Because you you have to appear um, genuine and just be yourself and to be very knowledgeable about the material before you deposition or or court appearance.
0: I realize that you have a very specific specialty with flash and DRAM Mm. and uh, this specific engineering topic. Uh, But since the 90s, how how does the contemporary legal uh, what is what do the contemporary legal battles look like today versus what they might have looked like twenty years ago? Are are there different uh, di- what what are the different patents today that are mm-hmm. controversial?
1: Well, it's uh, all this area. It's it's been evolving both because of the le- the legal landscape change, but also semiconductor for sure evolve through the years so you have to keep up with the technology you go to conferences watch stuff online and and so on but one thing that you have to realize when companies sue about patents, they don't sue about the patent that was issued last week most of the patents are issued are between five to fifteen years ago that they are when they were issued and um, and so you have to understand where the industry was 5 or 15 years ago because mm. this is what the expertise are looking for that knew how the industry looked at the time because you don't want to look in hindsight and say something was very obvious because we've been doing it for the last 5 years if the patent that invented this concept came out 15 years ago so you have to understand and show why it was new and different coming with the concept at the time but one of the biggest changes these days as far as expert work and um, legal field, it used to be until about roughly five years ago, they had a lot of non-practicing entity, that basically companies that would buy patent and they don't manufacture anything, they just would sue a manufacturing company and a certain court that is the International Trade Commission, it's called ITC, um they go and sue them and are able to block certain technology coming to United States. And actually one thing that people don't really realize that how important is the power of the government. In the 80s, the Japanese, they really impacted and changed a lot the development in the semiconductor field because they realized the importance of keeping a clean environment, doing the process is very methodical, the same way day in, day out. And a lot of American companies lose their market share because of the success of the Japanese. And they're also dumping uh, memories because they got a lot of help from the government. So the industry went and uh, complained in Washington about it. And after about seven years and so on, they created the International Trade Commission And this is basically a court, it's an administrative court that it goes very quickly, it has to finish within like I think 18 months or two years, the litigation, and it's very technical, they look and see if, if, let's say if Apple is saying that Samsung is copying their stuff, if they prove it there, they can prevent uh, Samsung from importing stuff, uh, chips into the United States. So it has a very strong taste, and it's been very effective. And uh, Altina Company is using it, but um, still there have been a lot of non-practicing entities that were able to sue companies. And just some shows that they are, have sort of a manufacturing, or in a way that they convince the courts, and name. so there have been the American invented act that it's a new a legal. A, format that a way for company to go against other company and show that the patent are were already are not new concept and the issue what they call IPR, IPR which is a intra-party forgot what the server stands for but it's basically it's a way for a company to go on to the patent office and say the competitor patent is obvious and when you look at some prior art and so on so a lot of the work nowadays and they also have they have within 18 months they have to initially take few months they have to decide if um, it's because initially the company file a petition saying that pattern XYz is, is obvious and there's a prior art for it and then if the field there's enough material that uh, they should have investigated, then they investigated, and there are, then I think something like three um, judges that are uh, people who understand, have a background in patent, because in a regular federal system, a lot of them don't have a, a patent experience, a lot of them are not necessarily technical <laughs> area, and yeah. the jury neither, so this is more specialized. These are people, that are attorneys that I'm not sure how the what are the criteria to get elected but usually a people have some technical or specialized uh, understanding and understand patents. And so then th- this board of three judges, uh, they evaluate the patent and one side file showing all the prior art showing why this technology was obvious, was done before why it's not new in other aspect and then within a few months that I mean the other side then reply and then you get deposed on it and so this is a new subspecialty that uh, people who are expert witness uh, give opinion about the pattern and so they have to understand the technology and the pattern because the pattern are written in a very specialized English uh, it takes some time to get used but it's like learning another language but <laughs> it's still, it's after you learn it, it's it's fairly simple. Does your testifying expert witness work take you
0: traveling to these courts? Like the, have you ever testified at the international court that you described? Well, uh, I the, the America ev- Invents?
1: Uh, America Invented Act. The America Invented Act. It's more a recent. Uh, a law that the Congress passed, and uh, for this one I was deposed. It's usually they do deposition the wherever the expert is located, not always, but often. There have been cases that there are many experts involved and so on, so they do it in some other location, but typically you do it, like for example, I live in a barrier, so they do it someplace in a barrier. Um, but I've been in DC and I've been in Denver, so I've been several different places for a it to testify, uh, but you know there are some other specialty, uh, like people, for example, software that they're evaluating code, and sometimes the other side doesn't want uh, the code to be sent, the file to you, so you have to go to their site. The code, I think, a black room or I forgot the name, yeah. but they have certain. You basically you have to go in a room, and you maybe you can bring pen and paper with you and you basically spend eight hours a day or whatever so, but I'm not software guy so people are software guys they so go to these kind of places and they can spend weeks and days in some very remote <laughs> very boring places spending hours checking code
0: You know, I, there's a guy who I listened to give a talk at a conference about this topic of him having been an expert witness in a software case and he has photos of the the warehouse in the room, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. room uh, how he had to go in there and uh, oh, yeah. to do the forensics uh, yeah. to try and evaluate whether there was patent infringement. Yeah. Uh, he had to figure out what minimal tools were available on the computers that the opposing you know, party to the case provided to him because they have no interest in him succeeding at his oh. forensics. So. Yeah. Uh, this is a really. I'll I'll include a link in the show notes if people are curious about this sure. uh, talk that this guy gave. Uh, you you don't a- often have to travel to a warehouse somewhere to look at a
1: device. No, not typically. I mean that the, um nowadays with everything available electronically, like uh, if they do reverse engineering of devices, so they just send it through the email. It's one of the nice things that I had opportunity to walk uh, while I'm traveling wherever. I mean, I mean, I was even because uh, as long as that you have internet and you have time available. You can do you can do this work, It's it doesn't have a constant flow. It sort of come and up and goes, uh, but you have to be uh, flexible in your schedule because often when something is happening you have to be available relatively yeah. soon. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Is there anything that you think we sh- that I should have asked you or that you would like to cover?
1: <laughs> Probably I'll remember when I'm driving back ah. afterward. but <laughs> let me try to think for a second here. Uh,
0: another thing we can always do is we can record another of these uh, and cover different topics at another time. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, let me try to think for a second here.
1: I guess we cover about why you should go into business for yourself. Because I'm a big believer that uh, it's really... I mean, when you start working in any industry... Because you see, when you finish your study, unless you're somebody who you always knew what you want to do, what you study in school and what you do in work is very different. And, and often you don't know it until you start working. But one of the benefits today is with... Um, if you work in modern, advanced company in the industry, in a fast-moving area, that you can work in whichever area that you are interested you can drive your direction and work without this, unless you go to very old, established company, and you should just go wherever which field interests you, and then you are more likely to succeed, you are more likely to enjoy what you do, and then you can drive it whichever direction, just be open to use whichever technology tool. Or a, like, I mean, I have this consulting company more than 20 years and I realized the impact of the internet <coughs> in the late nineties. And at different time, I added more tools like I have a Twitter account uh, and I have a blog and I have a website and and I taught myself how to use the software and other tool to write on it. And when I start teaching myself stuff like this, it wasn't so easy because uh, a lot of the tools were not as developed. Um, but it should just basically be flexible and be open for new different way and method and see what works and what interests you. And then you'll do well, <laughs> whichever field.
0: Well, I figure before we close, we should also take an opportunity to plug... Your consulting business, I don't think we have mentioned the name of your business yet. It's RMG Consulting. Yeah, RMG Associates. RMG and Associates. We'll include links in the show notes to your website, uh, as well as your Twitter and potentially even your email address uh, for anyone who wants to get a hold of Ron. Uh, Ron, thank you for joining us. Thanks. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Appreciate it.